Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. 17-14 is the final. One touchdown, we are world champions. Believe it, and it will happen. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com as well as the mobile app. He's Paul Dottino. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes. Today's show is taped, so we're not going to be able to take any phone calls, but keep the number handy for future programs at 201-939-4513. Correct, exactly, especially those at home taking notes. And you can hit us up on Twitter as well, hashtag Giants Chat. So today's show is going to be a heavy focus on the 2023 NFL Draft. We are going to preview five schools as we inch closer less than a month away from the NFL draft the Giants have the 25th overall pick and a number of directions they could go and let's stay within the New York New Jersey region as to kick off today's program we're going to turn our attention to the Syracuse class and we bring in former Syracuse offensive lineman also suited up in the National Football League for several seasons none other than Adam Terry the Syracuse radio analyst Adam, you got Lance Meadow, Paul Dottino here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Greatly appreciate the time today. Hope all is well. How's everything on your end? Fellas, everything is great. I mean, you're just going to have to have me back on for the backlog of calls that come in later on. So uh, I'll be ready for that. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, we already promoted your spot, so you can only imagine how much Giants fans are at the edge of their seats in terms of this highly anticipated spot, Adam. So I'm glad that you read our (laughs) mind. On cue. But let's start in all seriousness with a bunch of players that you are very familiar with. And I want to start on the offensive line, also a position that you know backwards and forwards, and that is Matthew Bergeron, 6'5", 318, projected to be a player taken in the first two rounds. And here's somebody that has a wealth of experience at left tackle, also started at it right tackle. But from what I'm hearing, Adam, there's speculation maybe he's more suitable inside. Where do you see his best spot at the NFL level? Well, um, you know, when you pop the film on, um, had the opportunity to do so with Jim Nagy a, a couple of years ago down at the Senior Bowl, and that's kind of how he kind of jumped off in that very athletic guy, can play both tackle positions. I initially see him bumping into that role of a, of a guard right away. Um, you know, he's good in space, but at that next level, he's going to have to adapt with the speed on the outside. So I, I really like him as a player, very high-character guy, strong, athletic, very good in space. So so short-term, I see him plugging a hole at a guard position for somebody. But long-term, you can see a position playing out on that left tackle, but probably primarily at that right tackle position. When you looked at him during the four years that he was with the Orange Men, Could you tell the dramatic improvement? Could you tell the development that he was showing from year to year? I know he didn't play a whole lot his first couple of seasons there, but then the last two years he got a whole ton of snaps. And I wonder if you you could give us a a kind of an idea of what the line was for him in terms of his upswing. Well, I think the biggest thing that you have to think about is where Matthew Bergeron's coming from. He came from CGIP up in Montreal, so they're playing a little bit further off the ball. Um, you know, a yard distance at some points in time, and he had to acclimate to the American game. And there's there's not a drastic crossover, but probably in the world of uh, coaching and skill development, 
that's where he's progressed over time, having uh, his stint at Syracuse, two different offensive line coach, both with uh, uh, very good pedigrees. I've, I've just seen a growth of a young, athletic offensive lineman, was able to put the weight on, did it in a, in a manner where he didn't regress in any of his athleticism. Mm-hmm. And now you see where the player he is today. And I think there's going to be another significant jump for him into the NFL into the NFL level with with somebody that's going to invest the time and resources into saying, "Hey, we've got a young athletic tackle that uh, could project to be a tackle in, in the league or a guard, and and really develop him over a period of time." So, I, I just look at it and with with what Matthew's done on on film, you can tell he can make that jump. And then it's going to really be taking a, a good offensive line coach, um, which you guys have, and, and developing him for the next four or five years. Adam, speaking of development, in terms of run blocking versus pass protection, how would you assess where he is on both of those facets and where he has to make strides, especially the fact that it looks like he's been charged with giving up five sacks this past season and maybe why there were some ups and downs this past year, at least in pass protection? Well, I think with Syracuse, what you saw is a, is a shift in, in offensive philosophy. So um, you had to adapt into more drop-back passing. When Robert and I came from Virginia as the offensive coordinator and had a quarterback that was very mobile but would also have him sit back in the pocket as, as a guy in Garrett Schrader, that was it. that's always a bigger shift. So. You went away from the outside zone, which they were very comfortable with, um, and that's where you saw a running back like Sean Tucker, who we might touch on later, but you were, had the opportunity to see an offensive line get off the ball, be physical, be dominant, and then utilize the play action in order to get down deeper into the field, which is more of that pro style, um, what we've seen develop. But now it, it was this past year it was, hey, we're going to drop back, we're going to sling it, we've got a, a key player in a round eight against and play in that slot position, we're going to get him the football, we're going to continue to feed him. And with injuries across the board, it, I don't, as an offensive lineman, I can't go into that, that meeting room and, and pound the table and say, hey, this is all on you. There are some uh, philosophical changes that allowed for, the, for those to increase into his last year. I'll let you get to the other guys that we wanted to talk about in just a second, but real quick answer. Has there been any talk about him potentially trying to play center when he gets to the NFL? Because we hear there's a dearth of of plug-and-play centers in this draft, and the Giants are one of the teams that may be looking for a center, and sometimes it's that guy who winds up converting to center who turns out to be the answer. I, I don't see it happening. You know, I, I, I see it in a situation where if he does bump in, he's not going to bump into that center position. I see him bumping into a guard position. But, look, I mean, he's a high-character guy with a, a very good football IQ that's continuing to grow since he's been into college. And, you know, sky's the limit for him. Do I necessarily see a plug-and-play at the rounds that he's projected as? That You know, I see him as a 2-3. Um, but I, I don't necessarily see going into that center position. But hey, you tell that kid, hey, I want you to go play center. He's gonna, he's gonna give you everything he's got in order to make it, make it worthwhile for you. Go get him. Sure, Adam. Let's stay on the offensive side of the ball. You brought up the running back, Sean Tucker. So I think that's the natural spot to go to. You look at his numbers specifically in terms of the receiving game, Adam. They improved each and every year. Where's the upside? with respect to that facet of his game? Because clearly on the ground, the numbers speak for themselves, but how much do you think he could contribute as a receiver on the NFL level? Well, I think when you're, when you're looking at, Sean, the running game aspect, period, you know, you have no questions about it, like you're saying. But in that passing game, it's going to be, can he catch the ball out of the backfield? He started to exhibit it this year. With, with the offense and the philosophical change, Robert and I tried to get that ball in the perimeter to him. Last uh, two years prior, it was tosses outside zones. And now what you saw was, hey, I'm going to get you lined up on a, 
a linebacker one-on-one, I'm going to get you a little swing pass out here or an arrow route up into the middle against the linebacker and see what you can do. And he was pretty successful doing so. So I saw uh, a progressive increase in his pass-catching ability, but there were also times where he he put the ball on the ground. Um, So I, I like the improvement. He's going to continue to do so. The biggest question that I've seen is how is he going to hold up in pass protection? He has sure. all of the physical capabilities to do it. He's um, going to be relentless at that point of attack, but he really wasn't tasked as much, uh, you would say, in the pro-style scheme of having to you know, read the safeties, see where the linebackers are coming from, and diagnose it. Is he, has he done it? Yes, he has. But to the extent of matching up with the top-tier talent, um, I don't know if we have seen that thus far. So the, my biggest question is not the pass-catching ability. I think he's, he's got all of that. And I'm not really um, questioning the capability of can he pass protect. It's just more of the frequency and efficiency that we haven't seen out of him because of the offense. Let me flip it to the other side in defense. Uh, Garrett Williams, the corner, is certainly one of those guys that people are talking about because they say this draft is so deep at that position. The questions will be with his size. I think the injuries will also kind of come back and haunt him a little bit. But from what you've been able to see, how well will he answer those questions? Well, I think you in 2001, or 2000, 2001, he led the ACC in pass breakup. So, you know, he's going against some of the best wide receivers in the country um, at that ACC level, that Power 5 level. He's able to do that. And he was picked on quite a bit. What happened at the, the towards the end of it is they started throwing away from him, and he didn't necessarily see that. So I I like him as a you know anywhere in that three to five round, and I say three because he has that upside. And a lot of the scouts that I had talked to pregame on the sideline, they were the he was the guy that they were coming to see. Matthew Bergeron had elevated his status towards the end, but Garrett Williams was the guy that everybody was coming in to see, and. And he was performing. Now, the hard part about that is he's not that Andre Cisco that was a top-tier, you know, first, second-round guy slid to the third because of an ACL tear. He's probably going to be a guy that's in that two, three slides down a little bit because of the depth of the cornerback position right. and has the ACL tear. Physical characteristics, yes, a little bit diminutive in size, but he, he goes out there and – He's not a – he's not a <clears> – <throat> how do I want to – as an offensive lineman, sometimes you look out of that perimeter and you call him a little bit of a diva, you know, but he is not that guy. Blue-collar kid, he's going to mix it up, and he was the quiet leader in that. You know, we could talk about a guy like Michael Jones, who is that middle, that linebacker, that leader, that dynamic guy, but Garrett Williams was a rock on the outside, and, and Syracuse started to see that the secondary – took a couple steps back when a guy like Garrett Williams was moved out of the lineup because of injury. Well, you brought up Mikel Jones, and that's where I wanted to end it in terms of the other notable defensive player. He's somebody that clearly has a lot of different skill sets. I guess the question is more, Adam, where does he fit in? We've seen him get some sacks. We've seen him in coverage. We've seen him against the run. Sometimes these hybrid S type of players, it's always a mystery of, well, maybe it depends on what team they end up with and where the coaching staff wants to take them. So how best would you pinpoint where you think his fit is when it comes to the NFL? You guys have a a defensive coordinator down there that loves that type of of, of chess piece (laughs) down there. And Wayne Carden did. Yep. You know, I I look back at a guy like Michael Jones, and I'll gush over Michael because he is a football player bar none. You line him up at safety, he's going to go out there and compete. You line him up as a defensive end, he's going to line up and compete. Those are not the positions he should be at, but he's going to go out there and compete. High-character guy, you know, probably a a step slower than your top-tier linebacker guy, but that's also that's not what he is right now. I compare him, and I'll go back to a a giant player that you guys had a few years ago. Uh, Maybe I'm dating myself probably more than a few years ago, but a guy that you picked up out of Baltimore and Jameel McClain. Yeah, sure. Jameel was a a Baltimore guy. We we had picked him up 
um, when I was down there, we picked him up as a priority free agent, and he had just developed over a period of time in a, in a system similar to what Wink has in, in the hybrid, the variability of the linebacker play. And he's also catching another guy, and a guy, a Syracuse guy in Zaire Franklin, who's the captain out in the Indianapolis Colts, kind of yep. did it the same way. Do I think that Michael is a draftable prospect? Bar none. He's going to make it on special teams. He's going to work his way into the lineup and probably have a career if he can catch on um, as long as anybody that we're talking about in this draft class. Um, but it's just a matter of beauty is going to be in the eye of the beholder. And I think when you put Michael, his ability to play sideline to sideline, his uh, ability to stay on the field. He really didn't have any injuries. He had one towards the end of the year, rolled up his ankle against Wake Forest, missed the Boston College game. But you look at this kid, he is the emotional leader at the middle. He is, is he a middle linebacker, per se, in a 4-3? No, but he's a linebacker in this uh, hybrid, I'm going to line you up over here, you're going to blitz over here, Wink Martindale kind of system. So, Love him. Is he going to knock your socks off as far as a stat guy? His stats will his stats will show up for you, but his initial, you know, the forty, the height, weight, and things of those natures, he's going to be in that average to above average. But when he jumps out there, his football IQ is going to allow him to fly around the field and make some plays and. That's what you're going to see out of all of these guys. Dino Babers, the head coach at Syracuse, has done a fantastic job of recruiting high-character guys that love football. And all of these guys that we're talking about right now will show up and be very productive in their first two, three years as a, as a pro player. So there you go. Perhaps another chess piece for Wink Marnendale if it adds up for the New York Giants. He is Adam Terry, who spent part of his career in Baltimore, former Syracuse and NFL offensive lineman. You can hear him on the Syracuse radio network as their color analyst. Adam, greatly appreciate the time and the insight, and we look forward to speaking down the road. Thanks for coming on the program. Thank you. All right. Thank you, fellas. You got it. Our pleasure. So Syracuse, we could check off the list, but that is one of five stops on this journey throughout the course of Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live from (laughs) Syracuse. We head more towards the middle of the country, and we now turn our attention to the Big Ten, Iowa. And joining us now on the line is Tom Kakert, publisher of HawkeyeReport.com. Tom, you got Lance Meadow, Paul DeTino here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Greatly appreciate the time today. Hope all is well. How's everything on your end? Everything's good. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me on, guys. Look forward to talking about some uh, some Hawkeye prospects today. Absolutely. And I want to start at the position we just left off with at Syracuse because when you look at Jack Campbell on film, there's a lot to like, and I'm sure there's a lot of teams that are excited about perhaps being in a position to draft him. What is something, though, that you've seen, Tom, that maybe doesn't automatically appear on film that makes him separate himself from really the rest of the pack when it comes to the linebacker prospects this year? You know, he is, um, I, I, I think, just off the field, just a terrific individual, uh, a leader, uh, the leadership component that he brings to the to the field that, um, you know, guys sort of gravitate towards him and look to him, and, and uh, he's, he's just a really solid leader like coach in in the in the film room uh on the field and to go on top of that just a terrific football player i mean just with his size and and his his range he's uh he's a very unique linebacker in today's game well you know in today's game they use a lot of sub packages how well do you think his range and his speed and athleticism will hold up on all three downs because if he's going to be taken high a team is going to want to get a lot of snaps out of him. That's that's the big question, and that was the big question going into this whole draft process: is what's he going to run? What's kind of his lateral movement, explosiveness, those sorts of things? And I think he's checked all those boxes. Vertical was very good in the mid thirties, I think, mid to upper thirties. So he is, uh, you know, he ran a what a four six somewhere in that area, four five. Uh, so he's and at six four two fifty. 
he's he's just shown that he can get sideline to sideline very well from uh, from playing inside. Well, to piggyback off of Paul's point, and I think he really hit it right in the nose, if you're going to take somebody like that in the first round, you want to make sure that you don't take him yeah. off the field on third down. And when I think of previous linebackers, Tom, and I'm sure you've heard of these names, Luke Keekley with the Carolina Panthers, yep. Sean Lee with the Cowboys, those were three down linebackers who you knew if they had to match up with a tight end or maybe even with a wide receiver, you'd feel good mm-hmm. about dropping them back in coverage. I guess what I'm getting at is... What is so unique maybe about Jack's ability from sideline to sideline to stick with guys like that who are a little bit above the notch of what he's seeing in college from a coverage standpoint? Yeah, you know, one of the things you mentioned, Luke Keekley, that's one of the guys that he's been working with uh, in this draft process. <laughs> it's Luke a good Keekley, game plan. So, yeah. yeah. So uh, he's, he's, uh, he's spent a lot of time, he was talking to us last week about that, uh, about spending time with Luke and how that's benefited him. So I think just from that perspective, he's going to get some some tips of the trade kind of thing from one of the best to ever play that inside backer position in recent years in Luke Keekley. Uh Let me quickly go because we have a lot of players to get to with you. To tight end Sam Laporta, I got a chance to talk to him, an impressive young fella at the Combine. Uh, yeah. There are those who think he might be the number two tight end in this draft. Others think he might be number three. But I think the sweet spot right now, from what we're hearing, because the position is so fruitful, could even be in the second round. I don't know if the Giants need yeah. a tight end right now, but this is a guy who's going to get a lot of attention. Yeah, he is. And uh, he's one of those um, kind of Iowa tight ends that got built to be a tight end. He was more of a, at the high school level, he was more of kind of a, a slot receiver in a lot of ways, uh, a lot like George Kittle was when he was at the high school level. And they just bulked him up a bit, built him up. He's become a very good blocker, uh, good route runner, good speed, good uh, you know, good change of direction. Uh, really, I think solid hands. Um, you know, the catching the ball, catch the ball in traffic, um, and a in a a great student of the game, and wants to be great at, at football. He's he's one of those guys that you just you, you just put him out there, and he's going to go out. I don't know if we lost you, Tom. You still there? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you were I'm breaking up there for a second. Sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. Continue. You yeah. were talking about Laporta. Yeah. He he's just one of those guys that you can just plug in and play and and uh, and and you know he's going to make plays down the field. He's going to be a dynamic playmaker. Um, he's uh, he's really unique at the high school level, and now he's you know going to be playing. Uh, you know, and he made that transition, I thought, very well uh, at the college level. It didn't take him all that long to kind of just become a go-to tight end for, for Iowa. Well, and to your point, that school has a very good track record when it comes yes, to tight yeah. ends and offensive linemen. So who are we to question players that come out <laughs> of that program with respect to those yeah. positions? Now, speaking of the trenches, I want to go back to the defensive side of the ball because Lucas – Van Ness is someone that also is extremely appealing, and there are some projections he could go in the first round, and whenever a guy has the nickname Hercules, I would say that's very fitting (laughs) for the game of football, but you know, my question is, Tom, where do you see his fit? Is he an inside or an outside guy when it comes to the NFL? I think he's an outside guy. Iowa plugged him in inside uh, his redshirt freshman year, and guys, I'm going to tell you, he's just kind of a freak. I mean, he's like 6'5", 270, and he doesn't have six-pack abs. He's got like 12-pack abs. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's, and he's got the, you know, like a a, a, a beach guy uh, kind of look to him. So, you know, he's just, uh, he's a freak, though. And that's why they called him Hercules, because he's just a former hockey player. So he's got some toughness to him, able to take hits and, uh and those sorts of things. So, um, yeah, his stock, it, here's the remarkable thing, guys. Never started a game at Iowa. Wow. Never started a game. Um, but um, he was probably going to start this year. Because he's just, you know, this was his third year, so he's a redshirt sophomore. Uh, so, you know, he that's why he, he left. But he, he would have certainly been a starter um, this coming year uh, had he stayed around. But the, his stock just went through the roof. And uh, he's terrific. He's really good. See, now, real quickly, you know, uh, to me, he's a defensive end. He's not a stand-up linebacker. 
especially when, yeah. he, when he checked in at 272 and six foot five. Now, you mentioned yeah. Redshirt's sophomore. How much room is there to put on his frame to maybe get him up into the 285, 290 spot to where he could be in every down end, you know, down with his hand in the dirt? Yeah, he almost. Um, it, I think he could put it on pretty easy because he came in at like 240 or so, and now he's you know 272 and and he still looks lean. It it I just saw him the other day uh, here at the football complex and and um, yeah he was he just looks lean. He doesn't look like he's 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 heavy. Um, you know I, he could put on 10 pounds easy and and still maintain his quickness. Um, and that's kind of one of the secret sauces at Iowa that they've been able to do over the years is put weight on guys and make them faster. <laughs> I don't know how you do that, but you do. Yeah, they they define power program in multiple ways at Iowa. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tom, last player I want to ask about staying on the defensive side of the ball is cornerback Riley Moss. He tested very well, and clearly athleticism and him, I think, are synonymous with one another. What do you see as his best character trait that could translate well to the NFL level? Hockiness. <laughs> well, that's one thing. <laughs> I, just, just like that, that you know, if he gets beat, he's not. It's not going to linger with him. He's just going to believe that he's going to make the play the next time. Uh, he's got a swagger to him. Um, you know, he knows the stereotype of you know how can a white guy play corner, but you know the the, the Giants. Saw that with Jason Seahorn, and he turned out pretty well. So, um, yeah, he's just he's going to go out there, and he loves the challenge. He is super athletic. I mean, that he was really disappointed that he didn't run a four three eight. I know that's what he had been running in training, uh, and ran a four four five at the at the combine. So he's he's got good quickness, good change of direction. Um, Good ball skills. He was the Big Ten defensive back of the year two years ago. Uh, just and and like I said, some some swagger, cockiness to him that that um, I think you need as a cornerback. You got to have a short memory and you got to have some swagger. Final quick one for me is he was a five year player there. So how much did that help him playing this final season, which he could have come out, but he decided to stay. Yeah, and I think he got feedback the previous year that maybe he was like a you know fourth or later round pick, and and I think he helped himself uh, this past year. I think the testing definitely helped him uh, to some extent. So I, I think he's going to be um, a guy that's going to come in, maybe be your nickel uh, early on, and then you know maybe develop into a starter and and. Uh, so I, you know, I've seen some projections of second, third round for him, and I don't think that's wow. completely unrealistic. Well, testing is something you can't teach, especially when it comes to those athletic traits, and I think that's well-documented with respect to the Iowa corner. He's Tom Cakert, publisher of HawkeyeReport.com. Tom, greatly appreciate the time and the insight, and we very much look forward to talking to you down the road. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, guys. You got it. Our pleasure. So from the Big Ten, let's move back closer to the East Coast, where we started the program, as, like I said, we are going to jam a lot into this one program today. And focus now is on Boston College. And we welcome in Pete Cronin, former NFL linebacker who played for Seattle and Washington from 1977 to 85. You can hear him on the Boston College radio network as their color analyst. Pete, you got Lance Meadow, Paul Dottino here on Big Blue Kickoff Live, Giants.com. Greatly appreciate the time. Hope all is well. as everything on your end? Everything's great. I'm down here in Florida avoiding all that nasty weather up in the northeast, but I hear it hasn't been that nasty. No, not at all. Actually, you called us when we've had one of our most mildest days. It's going to be 80 today, Pete. <laughs> 80. 80 degrees in New York. Unbelievable. Tell me about it's it. Tremendous. So now, we can actually relate to you for once. Yeah, well, I don't think you broke out the shorts and sandals yet, but you might. You might. <laughs> Who knows? Not quite. Speaking of heat. What about the heat on the bottom of the cleats of Zay Flowers, <laughs> who seems to run like the Flash? Although I, I just think that to me he's a slot guy, Pete. You, you got to tell me if anybody thinks he's going to be able to play on the boundary on the outside at the NFL level. I'm just not sure that that's going to be a fit for him. And to me, that kind of inhibits his value a little bit. Well, you might be onto something uh, because the you know corners and. Well, NFL secondaries 
are so big and physical today. You know, uh, that's if there's a, if there's a negative uh, or a minus, which is not a big deal. Uh, you'd have to say it's his size, but uh, he makes up for that lack of size and, and space that that why we haven't seen the likes of that skill level since Kelvin Martin. You know, who was a was a number one pick for Dallas many years ago. But right. I mean, this guy, this guy, if he gets the ball. He changes the game. Well, I think that's been well documented. The other thing, though, that maybe you could say, Pete, is a bit of a red flag. Had a lot of drops, it seemed, in 2022. I've looked up. It seems as if nine has been what has been credited to him. How much do you think that's a concern as he moves forward here? Well, I keep that informal statistic uh, on an ongoing basis. I grade, uh, you know, I'm a tough grader. Uh, wow, I you sound like my colleague Paul Dottino here. I am, I am vicious on drops, Pete. I am vicious. Receivers can't stand me because I take a quarterback's mentality on drops. Well, I'm the believer that if the ball touches your hand as a receiver, you got to catch there it. There you go. And, and But the problem is I think it was that statistic's a little bit misleading when you consider, you consider the delivery mechanism for Boston College last year. Well, let's not call it optimal. Right. Um, you know, he he was forced to make a lot of adjustments, and I think, yeah, okay, maybe they he, they say he had nine drops. I I only had him for three, uh, legitimate, which means he had three three balls he probably should have caught and didn't. Okay. So, okay. That that's that's you know that's discretionary. Yep. I yep. think that the, the the quality of the passing game in the NFL uh, is, is not going to be he's he's going to he's going to be really I think be a guy who's going to catch pretty much everything thrown to him. So you kind of you got to be able to read between the lines. So you know, he was able to, I think he was very effective uh, in so many other areas, and I think that's a, somewhat of a misleading statistic. Now, I did notice when I looked up his stat sheet from last year, Pete, he did handle a couple of punt returns, in fact, only seven during the course of the season. But you think to yourself, with a diminutive size like he's got, the quicks and the game-breaking speed that he's got – well, health of skelter special teams has got to be a place where he can make some hay. Now, I'm sure they didn't want to jeopardize him by putting him on special teams, but when he gets to the NFL, do you see him being a primary returner? No question. I think the, the, the kind of the underlying message in the league today, and it's always been this way, with short rosters, even though they're a lot bigger than when I played, uh, short rosters with the intensity of the game and the injuries, the frequency of injuries, you know, there's an old saying that the probability of injury in, co- in football is 100%. It's just a, it's a, what, what degree or what level of injury you have to endure. <laughs> so, you, so you better be able to play a lot of positions. And, you know, you're coming in, you're looking at this kind of perspective of, of, a, uh, of a purist perspective, uh, when in fact, for a team, the more valuable you are. And like I said before, Zay Flowers in space can change the outcome of a football game. So, Returning kicks uh, is just a feather in his cap. It's, a, it's another asset that he's, he brings to, a, uh, to his overall package that warrants serious consideration. Pete, we were talking about his size, and perhaps that may force NFL teams to say he's more of a slot guy than somebody that plays on the outside. But the one thing that I noticed is, despite his small frame, he does not shy away from making those contested catches. I guess what I'm getting at is, how fair is it to say that he technically played much bigger than his size presented, you think, during the course of his career? Well, ACC, is, uh, it's, a, it's a power five. You've got, I think, top, top-tier secondaries, linebackers, you know, the whole package, size, strength, speed, weight, all that, athleticism. And the thing that, uh, that you get, I think you've got to look at is, first of all, He's, he's not afraid to go catch the ball in traffic. Uh, and uh, But maybe more importantly is they impressed upon him the importance of escapability against these big, big quarterbacks. And, you know, a lot of people think everybody that played Boston College last year took the same game plan approach. We're going to double team Zay Flowers with our athletic our big, our athletic secondaries. We're going to put two guys on him. We're going to take him out of the game. Set a, set a BC record last year catching the ball. <laughs> so, so 
his inability, the perception that he's going to be unable to handle a wide-out position, I think is, is you're really splitting hairs. Uh, yeah, he may be more valuable as a, as a slot receiver, but the game plan last year for, for Zay Flowers was figure out a way to get him the ball, and he's going to impact the outcome of the ball game. And at the NFL, there's a lot of guys like that. He's going to fit right in. Hey, Pete, before we let you go, two recent Boston College grads just signed with the Giants as free agents recently. Uh, Jeff Smith, wide receiver slash special teams guy, and Tommy Sweeney, local kid here from North Jersey, uh, a tight end who was with the Bills. And, of course, Smith was with the Jets. Uh, Is there anything you could tell me about those two guys that might be fruitful for the Giants, that they might be able to dig out of them that maybe we haven't seen already in their early NFL careers? Well, the thing about about both those guys, they're smart guys. They got very good football IQs. That's kind of always been the mo for Boston College football players. NFL teams like them because the learning curve is short. So the plus these guys are veteran players. There's something to be said for surviving in the league. It isn't all about ability. If you catch my drift, yeah. So those two right. guys, with being, being veteran, will adapt quickly. And the two things, one thing about uh, you know uh, Smith is. You know, you can't coach speed. And we talked about the, 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 the viability of the importance of a guy like Zay Flowers as a return guy. That's really where Smith made his, made his name, is in the kicking game. You know, he's a game changer. He's a guy you could exploit the field. Uh, that's a great skill. I don't think he's any slower than he was when he got into the league. I don't know, but I would suspect that he's going to be, he's a guy who, who will make the team primarily returning kicks. He's also a guy that can stretch the field. But he's not known as a receiver; he's right. more as a special teams guy. Sweeney, Sweeney, the value for Sweeney is—you know—he's a—he's a typical kind of top-tier, you know, uh, kind of mid-tier NFL quarter uh, tight end. And what what he does is—you uh, know—everybody wants to look at tight ends as ball uh, as, uh, as receivers. He's an excellent blocker. Mm-hmm. He's an—he's an added offensive lineman, which was something that when he played for Adagio at Boston College. The emphasis on those tight ends was they're going to run a lot of that inside wham block and the traps. Right. I mean, the double teams. Sure. That's where that's where people don't see the tight end and kind of the assets that they might have. Where that's where Tommy Sweeney brings, I think, a little extra to the to the game. Where maybe he is going to be a primary receiver, although he's gifted physically. You know, he's got all he's got all the he's probably a six six kid with a great you know a great reach and all that. But I think he's going to be more valuable as a blocking tight end. Pete, as a quick follow-up, just in terms of some players that could be viewed as undrafted commodities and maybe work hard and make a name for themselves, I know Zay Flowers is obviously the guy to watch out of BC, but Jaden Woodby, Marcus Valdez on the defensive side of the ball, anybody else in this class that stands out to you that could maybe carve out a role in the NFL? Yeah, uh, defensive tackle, Chibuzi uh, Onwako. He's a uh, you know he's an undersized. He's like he's like a a, a short six foot. 285-pound D lineman. Now he's not going to make a name for himself as a as a pass rusher, but he's an excellent run stopper. You know, he's a fire plug guy. He gets underneath the pad. He keeps great pad position, and he's shown he's had a couple of really breakout games in his career where I think he's a guy that can go in there and be a stabilizer. No, he's not going to be your, your maybe your first guy in, but he's a guy that can work, can really be valuable in a run-stopping situation. So he's another guy that's worth a look. He is Pete Cronin, former NFL linebacker, who you could hear on the Boston College Radio Network as their color analyst. Pete, always great going back and forth. Enjoy the warm weather, which we could somewhat relate to, and <laughs> look forward to talking to you down the road. Great stuff, Pete. Yeah, good Good talking to you guys. I look up for that April snowstorm. There you go. <laughs> we appreciate it, Pete, and we hope it doesn't come as you predict. Pete Cronin really? right. with some great Take insight. Care. You got it. With us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live is we will continue to cover a few more schools here before we wrap up shop on BBKL. But from the three schools that we already covered, Paul, a number of intriguing prospects. Clearly, I would say Iowa probably has the most volume yes. compared to Syracuse and Boston College, but you know, Zay Flowers, like a lot of these wide receivers, and there's quality wide receivers, the question is, for any team, where do you expect him to line up? How are you going to utilize him? And from the Giants' perspective, what is your biggest need? We talk about the Giants have a lot of slot guys. They need a little bit yeah. more size than anything else. We have seen so many mock drafts 
that have flowers going to the Giants because a lot of people out there in the web space say, well, Giants need a speedster. They need sure. a burner. They need a wide receiver. Okay, great. But you got to peel back the layers of the onion. And what you realize is, okay, wait a minute. Who else is in the room? Sterling Shepard's in the room. We think he'll stay, but we don't know. I mean, he's going to try to make the team. God bless him if he can. That'd be great. We know Wondell Robinson's going to make the team. We don't know where his rehab stands, that by the time training camp opens or by the time week one comes around, is he full strength, ready to go? We don't know those answers right now, okay? But what we do know is that if those guys are part of the equation from the get-go, I mean, I don't see Zay Flowers having a huge role on this team right away. This goes back to what you always say about your draft ahead. Yeah, You're looking for, for two, three years down the road because Shepard's not long to be here. I mean, I think you know he gets a one-year deal, sure. so who knows how much longer he'll be here. Uh, so I suppose, I suppose you could rationalize a Zay Flowers selection. If I were making the pick simply because I just don't see the fit or the need, I wouldn't go there. I just wouldn't. And I also think that there are other receivers in the second round um, and and maybe even a couple of dark horses later on who have blazing speed, who might be able to provide something deeper on the depth chart, who have more size and will be able to take some snaps on the boundary. I think there's an argument to be made for both sides of the equation. Sure. Nobody's right on. and wrong here. No, not at all. But I do think what you brought up and you were hitting on something that I always raise you can't just look at the 2023 season in a no. box because no. to your point, because of injury concern and because of contract length, just because they're in the equation in 2023 doesn't mean they're going to be here That's for true. 2024 and beyond. Now, what you and I have not done, and maybe this is why we're just regular announcing folks instead of front office personnel types who make very big money and are have a lot of pressure on what they do. I'm sure that the Giants have a very strong list of who might be a veteran free agent at the end of this season who would fit into those different wide receiver roles as well as what the wide receiver class looks like in 2024. And that would absolutely be part of your equation if you were thinking of drafting Zay Flowers as a future. Yeah, well, and that's where I'm coming from. I would we not just don't have an answer to a that. front office, correct. We don't know where they may be thinking or how big picture they're thinking. But I think if you ask most general managers, including Joe Shane, he's not just looking at the roster in a bubble. No. He's thinking about, hey, in two years, this player's contract expires, and maybe there's going to be use for this guy to move up the depth chart, and he'll start off on special teams, right? Because you were talking with Pete about Zay as a return man, and then all of a sudden, year two, you elevate his usage within the offensive side of the ball. Well, imagine this. And, I, and, you know, if you just want to be creative a minute, we know Brian Dable and Mike Kafka are very creative. Imagine if you go with a four-wide set, let's say a two-by-two, two, and you stick one slot guy on the left and one slot guy on the right. What is that secondary going to do? If you've got a guy like Robinson on one on left slot and Flowers in the right slot, that's pretty nasty. Sure. What if, what if you line them both up and make it a three-by-one? and put them next to each other inside on the left. And now you got a couple of cornerbacks standing there sweating bullets, figuring <laughs> out, okay, are they going to cross? Are they not going to cross? Who am I going to get? And am I going to be out of breath by the time I'm five yards downfield? <laughs> I mean, I, I guess I could see usage. Well, you're giving defenses something to think about, and here's the other aspect. If you could get guys out in open space, you're forcing the opponent to tackle. And remember, a no lot doubt. of the guys on the roster are great in terms of yak, yardage after the catch. He's a mosquito. Yeah. Zay Flowers is a mosquito. The the quicks, the jukes, the, the acceleration, the burst, he's a mosquito. Very, very difficult to catch. Well, let's turn our attention to another school as we continue our marathon here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. And something tells me, Paul, you're not going to be comparing this player to a mosquito because I think there is something that is a little bit more fitting given his versatile skill set. And we bring in Sal Interdonato, who is the editor of BlackKnightNation.com all over Army as they have one player in particular that has been getting a lot of buzz, and that, of course, is linebacker Andre Carter. But, Sal, we appreciate the time. Hope all is well. How's everything on your end? 
It's great, guys. Thanks for having me, Lance and Paul. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, it's a pleasure having you on the program. And as I mentioned, we really want to put Andre Carter under the microscope because you look at his measurables, that's appealing. And then you look at how Army utilized him and specifically his campaign two years ago when he piled up 16 sacks, Mm -hmm. which is something that does more than just jumps off the page. So I guess my question is, and that's asking a lot out of a player to get 16 sacks consistently, but when you look at the standard he set, Sal, in 2021, why did the numbers maybe dip a little bit here in 2022? Yeah, you know, um, just thinking about um, the attention that he drew from other teams, right? Um, Yeah, he was going to get in double team uh, this past season. And uh, he didn't start the season 100% healthy either. He was dealing with some injury issues, so he wasn't 100% healthy. I remember being on the field at Coastal Carolina for the opener, the season opener, and there just didn't seem to be something right with him. He started to get more healthy toward the end of the season, and and it really showed what he can do. Um, you know what, Lance and Paul, to be honest with you, when you when I watch and I see photos that our photographers um, took, he was being held a lot, too. He was being tackled. There were offensive tackles that could have been called, uh, given two points for a takedown in wrestling when they were going against <laughs> him this year. So I think that the attention, I think he was getting held a little bit. I think injuries a little bit. But you look at the, the, the raw potential of Andre Carter, the ceiling is very high for him as when, when all 32 scout, uh, scouts from 32 teams show up to Army practices during his senior year, the, the ceiling is pretty high. All right, yeah. Let's make sure that people understand if they haven't seen him or watched Army play. We're talking about a guy who came in with the measurements of over 6'6", at 256 pounds, with an arm length of nearly 33 and a half inches. So, yes, he goes into that freak category, if you will. Um, so I guess what we're going to have to figure out if we're going to take a guy like this, a scout's going to sit down and say, where does this skill set best translate in the NFL? Is he a 3-4? Is he a 4-3? Is he going to be down? Is he strictly a pass rusher? What kind of cover skills does he have? What kind of range does he have? From what you've been able to see, what will be the biggest black marks against him that scouts will say, all right, if we're going to do this with him, it's not a good idea? Well, I think that he has to put on a little bit bit of size, right? At 256 in that frame, if he's going to be like an every-down guy, he's going to have to get a little stronger. And, you know, he showed the ability to play the run a little bit better toward the end of this season, especially when you're going against, like, the likes of Air Force and Navy who are going to run the football a lot, and that's their, their bread and butter, so to speak. He has better games, I think, his senior year than he did his junior year against the service academies against the run. That's just my opinion. So I think he's got to get a little bit um, a little bit stronger to play the run. I think he's capable of playing the pass. I mean, Army did drop him back more than I thought they would this year. There were times where I was watching in a third and long situation. I'm like, why isn't Andre rushing the passer? They were dropping him back in coverage. And he was holding his own. Was he getting beat? I don't remember him getting beat for big plays. Were they throwing his way uh, here and there? So I think that he's working on his pass. He worked on his pass coverage this year. I think he just needs to get stronger to play the run if he's going to be like an every-down guy. Um, I was trying to think of a comparison to him. You know, who would be like an NFL comparison to Andre Carter? And, guys, I came up with a former giant for right now. I came up with Matthias Kiwanuka. But I think okay. that he has the potential. There's potential there to be maybe not on the level, level of a Chandler Jones, but be that type of pass rusher down the road. So now, that's what I came up with. Let's say he puts on some bulk. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. When he was at uh, the service academy, he did not go down with his hand in the dirt very often in a three-point stance. He was mostly a stand-up guy, was he not? Most of the time, sometimes he did put his hand down. Uh, occasionally he did put his hand down, but mostly he was trying to gain that edge with his speed and leverage to get to the quarterback most of the time. All right, now, if they bulk him up coming up to the NFL to give him some more poundage, chances are he's going to wind up being a down lineman, don't you think? Hey, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> I don't know. I, but, but here's the thing, guys, right? Army's strength and conditioning program is really, really good, right? I and believe that. Like, <laughs> I hope so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You see guys that come out of high school as fullbacks at, like, 240 pounds that are now offensive linemen at 290 pounds, right? So they have a strength program where the players can gradually gain weight. For Andre, he was, it, did, it didn't 
he didn't gain that much weight from when he came to when he finished his senior year as much as others. So I don't know how much he can put on. Can he put on – can he get the 280? I don't know. I mean, I think he's probably a better player at a lighter weight. So that's what NFL teams have to decide. You know, do you want him as a stand-up guy? Do you see him as a down defensive lineman? That's, that, that is a good question. Sure, because the more weight he puts on, then all of a sudden you're taking away his versatility as a guy that can move sideline to sideline. So you have to weigh the pros and cons from that standpoint. I think that's a very good point. I want to circle back to, I brought up his sack numbers, and clearly we tend to focus on that, but his pressures were very consistent. And I'm curious, Sal, what jumped out to you about things he did when he didn't finish and record the sack but maybe open things up for teammates because of his disruptiveness and how much you saw that on even plays where it didn't look like he was the primary guy that was the go-to player within this game. 100% he was in the offense's uh, game plan, you know, this to stop, and quarterbacks would be getting rid of the ball really quick. You look at when they played Wake Forest, right, and they played Sam Hartman, and I know that their offense was to get rid of the ball quick at Wake Forest in the passing game, but they got rid of the ball, it seemed like, much faster when they were playing Army against Andre Carter because they knew what they were up against. And I think that he also forced, you know, when those passes got forced early, that gave opportunities to the secretary to pick off some passes. The safeties like uh, Marquel Broughton got, got, some, uh, got some opportunities to make some plays. And I think that he was a factor. We, I, I mean, the holding penalties that he forced, you know, the um, – the pressures to moving the quarterback around so other guys can make plays. That definitely happened during that year and happened also some some uh, his senior year too. I need to ask you just to update us because over the years I know there have been some tweaks to how the military academy players are available and then not available. As it stands now, what does an NFL team know about his availability if they take him in April? Yeah, he's been grandfathered into the uh, policy that was in effect where you can go, where a service academy athletes can go directly and get their chance directly to uh, compete for a roster spot. As long as they have a contract from an NFL team, they can compete uh, for a roster spot. I, I had a podcast with Ryan Mc, uh, McCarthy on the Black Knight Nation uh, YouTube channel, and he talked about he was heavily involved. He's the former Secretary of the Army. He was he gave guys like Elijah Riley, Cole Christensen. John Radigan and Brett Toast the chance to play in the NFL. He was a part of getting them to go directly and sign off on that. And he believes that there's still going to be talk amongst Congress. It's going to be a kind of a year-by-year thing. But he believes there's um, a strong indication that they're going to continue to allow the service academy athletes to, to go directly to the pros. And get, and if it doesn't work out, then they have the five years to serve of active duty afterwards. Um, there's a fullback, Connor Slumka, who played for Army a couple years back got a chance with the Jaguars, did not work. He's now serving in the military and doing very well, um, you know, very well. At Army Ranger School passed that and everything. So um, there's there, that's a there, it, it works well both ways. And, and the policy seems where it's now, where it's at right now works well. They were talking about changing it back to serving two years and then going to the pros again. That hasn't been um, voted. Uh, the bill hasn't somewhat passed through uh, Congress, to my knowledge, that they're going to still talk about it in uh, in the spring and in the, in the, in, uh, the summer, too, about a vote in December for future. Yeah, and I think what you're referring to is there was talk about a congressional bill tweaking the current language to give mm-hmm. a guy like Andre Cotter a little bit more flexibility. Sal, before we let you go, clearly if you play for Army, what you go through, it's highly unlikely there's any character issues. But <laughs> yeah. you, know, you clearly have been exposed to him on and off the field. What type of guy is Andre Cotter in terms of maybe off the field that he could provide at least for a locker room, especially if he mm-hmm. winds up going to a relatively young team? Amazing, amazing kid, amazing person, a guy who's going to um, really get his head into a playbook, uh, always asking for extra help. But you know what? We, we had a picture of his final home game, um, and there's kids that are lining up to get autographs from Andre Carter on the field after his last game at Mikey Stadium. And I think that says a lot about how he's, he's able to reach not only, you know, football, uh, just the younger football fans, too. He's a really good good a bright kid, an intelligent guy, um, very selfless. You know, doesn't like to uh, – every time you ask him about his stats that junior year, he was talking about the team. He was not talking about himself. So 
he's a guy that's going to put his hand down. He's going to work as hard as he can. I think that he's a, he's a good character guy for a team, and I think that the potential for him is off the charts. And, you know, he was a first-round pick earlier in these mock drafts in the preseason, and the stats didn't work out. He may not have the combine numbers of, of some of the, 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 the top ten picks now, but he'd be a solid pick for – for uh, a team on day two, no doubt. Um, and they're going to get a great great player and a, a great character guy. He is Sal Donato, editor, BlackKnightNation.com, all over Army's Andre Cotter, who, as you just heard, was projected to be the first round, could be a second rounder, but there's no doubt about it, a very intriguing skill set. Sal, we greatly appreciate the time and the insight. Thanks for joining us and look forward to talking down the road. Thank you, Sal. Yes. You guys have a great day. You as well. So that is a breakdown of their top prospect, Andre Carter, and clearly he is somebody, you look at him on film, you look at him on paper even, Paul, and you know you brought up the <laughs> questions about where do you fit these guys in, and listen, that's a question that we bring up with a lot of these draft prospects. You have to. It's not as if you don't have much to work with, though, if you no. do bring him into your program. Yeah, no, I, I, look, here's the thing, right? Um, he is basically the antithesis of Jihad Ward, okay? Jihad Ward's about 6'5", 285 pounds or whatever it is. Um, So Carter does not have the bulk of a Jihad Ward right now. But I think at some point, he's probably going to put on that kind of bulk. Now, Ward plays a stand-up edge guy, but he is more of a run stopper than he is a pass rusher. What's interesting about Carter to me is that if you do build him up, if he if he turns out to be six seven, let's say two seventy five, are you really going to ask him to stand up on the edge? I I don't know, I don't know. I I, I think if I'm gonna if I'm gonna project him that way, I probably want him in the dirt. Well, because I also think that you're not capitalizing on what he offers frame wise. I mean, we're talking about he's got a six ten wingspan, Paul. He's quite the specimen. <laughs> yes. I mean, that's a challenge for an offensive line. You want to make them think a little bit. I'm well, with you. He, with the wingspan, again, length, yeah. that always helps a pass rusher. Absolutely. But but with his size and his length, uh, you put on the extra weight. Now the athleticism for him to be able to get outside to the boundary to chase down a running play, or if, if he's got to, God forbid, he's got to cover somebody. I don't know if you put a put extra bulk on a six foot seven pound a six foot seven frame, that becomes a lot more difficult to do in the NFL. Well, that's why a I think you need a specific game plan if you're you do. somebody you like gotta this. know what you're going to do with them. And b I think you also need to be flexible to say it's going to be a bit of a feel it out process maybe yeah. in year one, right? Maybe you start off thinking we'll put him on the line, and then you realize all right, well that was our initial game plan, it didn't work out effectively, and now we're going to go back to a different option. So it's very similar to players that once again we've brought up in previous drafts where we've seen them labeled as tweeners, right? And I don't want to say he's a sure. tweener, but, I mean, that to me is the best term that I think encompasses what you're looking at with respect to Andre Cotter. But, you know, you'd be hard to go into a machine and build somebody with his frame. <laughs> so you have to take that into consideration. And I do think the reason why, as we were talking with Sal, Maybe he's not projected to go as high as he did a year ago is because he went from 16 sacks to three. But as Sal brought up, he was dealing with injuries, and clearly you got 16 sacks the following season. They're going to double you a little bit more. You're not going to get those one-on-one matches. And if there are no other threats on that defense, what do you expect? Yeah, and it's not as if Army was a star-studded defense. So clearly they had a game plan. They had a real good year, though. We're gonna fo- no, I'm not trying to take away from the team, but... There's a reason why Andre Carter is the only one being talked about with right. respect to the draft. Right. So I think that does absolutely put things in perspective. few reminders before we wrap up shop here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Make sure you check out the Giants Huddle podcast. You can subscribe to that on 
a variety of different podcast outlets, and you can head to Giants.com as well as the Giants app. Giants fans, take your fandom to the next level with a season ticket membership. Stay connected to the club all year round, not just on game days. Memberships are now available for the 2023 season. To learn more about all the exclusive member benefits, visit Giants.com slash tickets. Limited inventory is available. And also, the Giants official connected TV streaming app, Giants TV, brings you original video content and game highlights on demand. And direct to Big Blue fans, Giants TV is free. It's on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, as well as the Giants mobile app. All right, that is going to wrap up Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. We will be back up and running again on Monday at 12.30 p.m. Eastern, and we will be able to take your phone calls as well as continue to preview the upcoming 2023 NFL Draft. Today's episode is part of the Giants platforms everywhere and Giants.com slash podcast. For Paul Dettino, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the weekend and stay locked to Giants.com for all the latest. Have a good one. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details.